Welcome to Heresy Hunters. I'm Micah, and I'm super excited to actually begin our next series on Oneness Pentecostalism. So we will be uncovering Oneness Theology. Now, Oneness Theology, quite simply, is the belief that Jesus is the Father, quite literally. So, they don't believe in the Trinity. Um, they believe in one person, one nature, or one nature, one person. We believe in one nature, three persons. So we believe in a Trinitarian triune God, right? They believe that Jesus was the Father. Now, in our series, we will break down every ounce of their doctrine. Um, however, we're going to begin with the history of this movement, just like we focus on the history of the charismatic movement when we began or embarked in it. So, you may be asking, why am I even bothering with this? What is the point? Oneness theology? How important is that? Well, believe it or not, there are 15, over, actually over 15 million people that believe oneness theology that basically reject the Trinity, reject the pre-existence of Christ. That's very serious. And we'll look at the implications of all of that as we continue the series. But that is more, like over 15 million people, that is more than Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. That's a lot to say. So this is very important, which is why um, I want to cover this as a series. So to begin, to get right into it, our story begins with Robert E. McAllister. <laughs> I like that name, McAllister. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Anyways, he was born and raised in 1880, died 1953. Now, to many people, McAllister was actually considered the father of Canadian Pentecostalism. So, for all of you in Canada that are listening, he is the Canadian Pentecostal main man. So, McAllister was actually converted at 21 years old, and he actually ended up joining the Holiness Movement Church. Now, I don't know if you guys really know what the Holiness Movement Church is, but to all of you that already know, um, then this is just going to be a brief explanation. But in essence, um, the Holiness Movement Church um, was very focused on Wesleyan Arminian theology. So, um, from John Wesley, um, they were Arminian as their soteriology, um, and they are defined by the emphasis on, and their emphasis of their doctrine is the second work of grace, leading to the Christian perfection. That's, that's their motto. Um, in other words, they believe in entire perfection or perfectionism. Um, which should really strike you as something that is very heretical, which it very much is. Um, perfectionism actually teaches that there is a class of Christians, so there are super apostles out there, super Christians, um, that will eventually achieve moral perfection in this life. Which I can go through a hundred scriptures of how that's not true scripturally, right? But that's not the point of this podcast. So as we continue on... Um, with our story, this is where he um, 
after he was converted, he joined. He joined this Wesleyan Arminian um, perfectionism-driven, um, <clears throat> I don't know if you want to call it a, a cult, but I can. we can call it that. Um, let's call it a sect <laughs> for the sake of it. Um, so as he embarked um, with them, he actually began preaching um, in the western um, parts of Canada. Um, and McAllister actually heard about the revival that was taking place in Los Angeles, the Asusa Street Revival, the Street Mission. Now, if you guys remember, this was the same revival that was led by William Seymour. If you didn't get to listen to the first episode of Uncovering the Charismatic Movement in our past series, I highly recommend it. Um, just to recap in this revival um, and just to you know go back to the, the story because um, a lot of the story for McAllister um, builds upon the story of the beginnings of the Charismatic Movement. So I highly recommend you to watch that if you haven't already. Um, but just to recap... Um, about the Sousa Street Revival. Um, I mean, according to Parham, again, you can go back and see this, but according to Parham, the manifestations and the occultic, occultic things that were happening in this revival um, were actually, according to him, not led by the Spirit of God. And this was a man that we would consider a false teacher, saying to another false teacher, your teaching is false. So if a false teacher tells another false teacher, if they're a false teacher, mm, <laughs> that should be already be a red flag, right? So anyways, that was the quote-unquote revival. So yes, the same revival. So he heard about the same revival. Um, so he arrived at the meetings there in December 11, 1906. Um, and he actually experienced his personal Pentecost. Here it begins. He experienced his personal, personal Pentecost, his own experience that proved that his theology was wrong, um, that he was taught all his life, and he embraced Pentecostalism, um, and this embarks the beginnings of the um, voyage that our friend McAllister um, began. So, after his personal Pentecost, uh, within a few weeks, he was conducting meetings in Ontario, yeah, Ontario, and the western and the western parts of Canada, teaching about the baptism in the Holy Spirit accompanied by tongues. Now, again, if you go back to our previous um, our previous uh, series on covering the charismatic movement, we went through uh, tongues and are they biblical or not. So again, if you haven't seen that, go check it out. Um, but in essence, he went to Ontario in the western part of Canada and he was teaching about this baptism of the Holy Spirit that was accompanied by tongues. Because again, if you remember a couple seconds ago, he had his personal Pentecost. Um, and it's exactly what Seymour was teaching. That people um, that were growing up believing modern, not modern, but but ancient, really, that's the reality, ancient orthodoxy that focused on Scripture alone, I mean, all the way from the Reformation to there, everyone that was experiencing that and had those views were wrong about the Holy Spirit. They weren't Spirit-filled, quote-unquote. 
according to William Seymour. So this man has his personal Pentecost, and he starts spreading it like wildfire, um, which is insane. Um, so then after, after a couple of years of him spreading this, um, it begins um, this whole division among the Pentecostal movements. And uh, the Worldwide Apostolic Faith Camp had a meeting in Arroyo Seco in Los Angeles, basically in their efforts to try to unite um, all the Pentecostal groups together. So our friend McAllister uh, decided to give a sermon. And this is right here, the beginning of uh, the oneness movement. So as our friend McAllister was giving a sermon, um, he, he, actually, he actually noticed something in the book of Acts um, and saw that the apostles were baptizing in the name of Jesus rather, rather than using the Trinitarian formula of in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost as we see it as a command by Jesus himself in Matthew 28. Now, McAllister, this this is we, we got to get this clear. McAllister was always and always embraced Trinitarian doctrine. So this man, McAllister, um, didn't grow up beneath believing in Unitarianism or believe that Jesus was the Father. This wasn't something that he was taught. This wasn't something that um, was popular at all, if not even very much talked about at all. Um, there's actually, there's no, um, apart from a lot of the, um, early arguments in the apostolic church and church history, um, during this time, there's not a lot of evidence that there was churches or sects of, um, they were teaching Unitarian, um, doctrine. So again, he was fully Trinitarian. Um, and honestly, just over one brief observation after he, and, and this is what I want us to realize. This was after he experienced his own Pentecost, right? So, which I want you to really have in the back of your mind because this never happened until he had that experience that he started questioning also then literally common and basic orthodoxy. I, what? And what it took was this one verse that instead of him looking at the whole counsel of God to understand scripture with scripture, he decided to say, well, that just means that Jesus is the father. And that just means that we ought to worship Jesus alone and baptize in Jesus name alone. Not the way that Jesus told us to baptize, but the way that seems right to me. Do you see that? That is the mindset of a lot of these um, these sects of Christianity. They begin with a theology that is based on what sounds right to me. Now, what, the, what does the Bible say? Or what does the oracles of God portray? But what sounds good to me? What sounds better to me? That should never be why you believe a doctrine. You should hold to a doctrine because the Lord had spoken it so. That's it. Not because you had an experience. Not because you were taught this. Because the word of God said so. 
That should be it. That should be the motto for any doctrine that we believe. Did God speak it or did he not? If not, then let's not attain it. We should go back to scripture alone. What's going on with us, right? I don't understand. We need to go back to the original way of thinking. The word of God being the ultimate source of truth. Right? That should be the case. But no, we see McAllister embracing this oneness um, idea or ideology by just seeing one verse and sticking by this. And that, that was the spark of the oneness Pentecostal movement right there. Shortly after that, in uh, 1941, December 6, he actually published um, his sermon and it was printed in the Pentecostal Evangel, which... As we know it, it was very big headlining newspaper for uh, the Pentecostal movement. And again, the Pentecostal movement blew up during that time. So everyone and their mother read this. And in essence, the, the thesis of his sermon, um, first of all, it was based on Revelation 4. And I would say a terrible, uh, of him using terrible hermeneutics and horrid exegesis when he's going through Revelation 4, but he came to the conclusion since the angels were asking who, right? The whole aspect of even later on in Revelation of them asking who can break the who can break the seals, who is worthy. And then they start worshiping the Lamb of God. They start worshiping Jesus and Jesus alone. Um, and he comes to the conclusion in Revelation 4 that since they're worshiping Jesus alone and no one else, that basically our God isn't triune because if he was triune, then the angels would have been worshiping the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So again, this is just terrible exegesis. Um, and it is taking one verse and applying it to one theology. Um, <laughs> no pun intended, one theology, oneness. But honestly, applying it to one doctrine instead of letting the whole counsel of God determine the doctrine. And again, that's very, 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 very dangerous. And we saw that with the charismatic movement when they're talking about speaking in tongues, when they're talking about um, being baptized by the Spirit of God, etc. Um, even prophesying and modern-day prophets. All of these are always based on verses taken out of context to justify a doctrine. Not the whole counsel of God, but... A couple verses that are twisted. So, and, and in essence, that is what sparked the oneness Pentecostal movement. Um, so again, just like the beginning of the charismatic movement, oneness Pentecostalism arose, from, and I want you to catch this, arose from experience and interpretation of one man. One man. It came from the interpretation and experience of one man, guys. Are we going to hold to a doctrine that is only based on someone's experience and interpretation when clearly the Bible shows us that we should not hold to that, but we should hold to the counsel of the Word of God alone? I. What are we doing? That's... We need to, to stand up against these things. 
And through this series, I'm not only going to, Lord willing, show what the doctrines are, which, you know, the doctrines that the Oneness Pentecostals hold to, but I'm going to go through refutations, and I'm going to go through their quote-unquote proof texts, um, and also show how even the Apostolic Fathers, which is a very important point, which the Apostolic Fathers, if you know any church history, were the disciples of the original disciples of Christ. And guess what they were? They were Trinitarian. We clearly see that in the first two epistles of Clement, the book of the book written by um, the book on the life of Polycarp, and a lot of the rest of the Apostolic Fathers. Where you really clearly read their letters and their documents, you clearly see the Trinitarian language they use to talk about our Triune God, which honestly leads and solidifies the conclusion that the doctrine of the Trinity was not a doctrine invented by the Roman Catholic Church, as many claim to say, but is a doctrine passed down from the disciples of Jesus and from Jesus himself. And we see it all over the Old Testament as well. It's not just in the New Testament. We go to the Old Testament and we see clear as crystal examples and, and, um, and we see proof texts of our God being a triune God. So, again, um, my desire as, I am, as we embark in this new series is to not only show the doctrines that they hold to, but literally go back to um, even the earliest um, accounts of our Christian faith and show you and demonstrate to you that this movement, along with the charismatic movement, have completely destroyed and completely just annihilated, honestly, basic orthodoxy. We need to go back to scripture alone. And I pray that this 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 fires you up, man. That it fires you up to get deeper into the word, to understand the word of God more and more. We need to be people that meditate on the word of God day and night. So we know him, so we understand him. We ought not to be people that are based on experiences alone. And experiences of someone that experienced God. But we need to seek Him and seek His Word alone. So, my desire for you guys is that as we continue with the series, that it, it not only blesses you, but you learn from it. And you are emboldened by it. And emboldened by your faith. And are able to defend um, the triune nature of our beautiful, powerful, mighty, omnipotent God. And I hope that it really does bless you. Thank you so much for listening. I know this was just a brief history of it, um, but we're going to get to the meat of it in these couple episodes coming up. Um, coming up, And if you have any suggestions, or if any of you have actually, if any of you actually were in this movement, I would love to talk to you. Send me a message at Heresy Hunters. I'd love to have a conversation, even just talk about your testimony. Maybe we could put it up here. Um, I love that. Um, but yeah, uh, send me a message. Um, we're here to serve. Um, 
We love you. Thank you so much for listening. And I pray that you will continue to be edified and blessed through these podcasts. If you have any suggestions or things you want to hear through this, feel free to send me a message. Um, And if you need prayer, anything like that, again, send me a message at Heresy Hunters. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you. And as always, happy hunting.